This is Lori, and I am the founder and CEO of Inclusivity, which is a company all about justice and kindness and sustainable living. And this is our podcast, Inclusiva Talks Sustainability. And on the podcast, we talk with creatives and people in the sustainable sphere and just interesting people who have a story to tell us. So we have recently interviewed several people who are going to be involved in a sustainability challenge that we have coming up. And today's guest is one of those as well. So today I'm really happy to welcome Deb Edwards, who is a Young Living Independent Distributor and also a lighting designer. And so we are so happy to have you here, Deb. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, we, we just met each other actually at a Young Living um, event or, or online event. So um, I don't, we, ha- we don't know each other very well. So I'm excited to ask you some questions to get to know you as well. So I always like to start the question by asking, first of all, sort of how you got to where you are today. When you look back over your life, how did you get to this point? Because it sounds like you're kind of shifting directions right now from what you just said before we started recording. Yes, I am. Um, so I'm, I'm gradually closing my lighting design firm, um, and that started during COVID. Um, and I've had this firm um, for 18 years now. I've been a lighting designer for over 40 years. Um, and it's a career that I absolutely love. It challenges both the creative side of my my personality as well as the technical side. And um, I found it completely by accident. I I just I love both creative and, and technical. And I actually was supposed to go to to Minneapolis College of Art and Design. I was registered. I was ready to go. And I remember I was you know, 18 years old. And I told my dad, I, after all of this work getting in there, I changed my mind. <laughs> I really want to go to a technical college and learn architecture. And so I found this program that was architectural and construction technology. And to me, that sounded like it was both sides of my brain. It was creative and it was technical. And I thought this would be great. Um, and you know, back then that was in the early seventies and I just didn't see a career in, in the fine arts being, um, as, as close to my heart and as easy to, to make a good living. Cause I really wanted to make a good living, um, as, as something like architecture. So I got into lighting design kind of by accident. After school, I started working for a large or for an architectural firm who then moved out of state. And so I ended up working for a small engineering firm who had one electrical engineer and they were a structural and civil firm, but they allowed me to go to classes all over the country for lighting design and learn the ins and outs of lighting design. And I just fell in love with it right then and there. And so I've been fortunate over the years to, to work on some really great projects, some huge ones, but some small ones as well. Um, but I just, for example, I did target center. I did the original target center and then in wow. the renovation just recently. That's um, a huge it, thing. It was great. 
I, I love it. And I love the clients. I, I mean, I have so much fun because I have the best clients in the whole world. But um, so, yeah, in Target Center, I did the, um, the Mayoganda building where I was so blessed. I got to work with Bill Chihuly and light, light some of his beautiful glass art. Um, I did He's the fantastic. I know. I know. And I met him in person. He gave wow. me a tour of his studio. It was so much fun. Um, I did Soldier Field, the renovation, um, Mystic Lake Casino. I mean, those are just a few of them. One of my very first projects that was a real creative venture was um, with um, for the St. Anthony Park Library. And it's a historic library. And they had, in the 70s, I believe, renovated it and hung a horrible suspended ceiling below those beautiful palladium arches, arch windows and blocked all those windows off and, and it just changed the space and it was awful. But in the mid eighties, they, they um, renovated it. And so I was able to design a custom fixture that was so much fun because at the time, I remember thinking we need to have more volume. So I looked at the original pictures and they the, it was lit with these small glass globe type fixtures, a little bit ornate, but basically an incandescent lamp in a glass globe. And so there wasn't a lot of light. Now in a library, we needed a lot more light than that. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to hang a great big HID, you know, high intensity discharge globe because it would just be glary. Right. I didn't want to light it with strips of fluorescent. And that's all we had at the time. We were long, long before LED was even a twinkle in anybody's eye. And so I, at the time, I thought, let's bounce the light off the ceiling and light the whole volume. And so to do that, you could either hang strips of fluorescent lighting up or big, that we called them hockey pucks. They were enormous discs metal discs with a high intensity discharge lamp that would blast the ceiling with light and throw the light everywhere and it was really good quality light because it was indirect so it was getting everywhere and that was great but it was ugly so i i talked to manufacturers and i decided to take the guts of one of those hockey pucks with the reflector and the lamp and put it in in a an acrylic bowl and so and we had some lovely brass trim and everything. And then I put compact fluorescence between the um, the reflector and the acrylic. And so the glass or the acrylic bowl glowed and we blasted the ceiling and got did really good performance. So we got uniformity on the ceiling. So that was just a nice, beautiful plane. And all the light came down onto all of the racks and the books and it was beautiful. And I was there not too long ago and it's still there and it still looks great and it makes me happy every time I go there. So that's just a great feeling. It is. It's having your it art is. displayed for thousands and of people. It, it it's wonderful. And and I don't know. I I don't feel like I need recognition for it as much as I just look at it and I just have this sense of pride because I worked so hard on it. I remember having a nightmare the day before they showed up at the <laughs> at the site because I I hadn't you know back in that day I wasn't 
able to go out to the to the manufacturer they were in Pennsylvania and see what they were doing or anything and they didn't send pictures it wasn't that easy back then and so I had a nightmare that they showed up and they looked like big garbage bags sure and I went oh no that can't happen <laughs> <laughs> and then when they got to the site and I went over there and I went they're just beautiful they were exactly what I hoped and dreamed for so so it was really how exciting to talk to you because what I've learned interviewing creatives and anybody who hasn't heard our past um, podcasts, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of them because we've just interviewed some incredible people that you may never have heard of, probably haven't, but who are using their creative spirits in so many different ways. And that's what I love about this is I didn't know this about you before we started talking today. And this is um, such a clear and strong creative outlet for you. This is such is. a clear picture of who you are and how you used your art. Now, before you got decided to go into architecture, to get your degree in architecture instead of fine arts, what kind of art were you doing back then? Um, pretty much everything. I, um, I went to a, a, a parochial school, first through eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And so you did what everybody else did. And yeah. that was fine. And I loved art and everybody that I had, a, my family was small, but we had a huge extended family. So every time they'd come over, they'd say, will you draw a picture for me? And they'd tell me what to draw and I'd draw them pictures. And, um, you know, from the time I was like five. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, when I got to high school and I had options, it was pretty exciting because I immediately of course, took all the art courses I could. And so I remember in, in I, I ran out of painting classes after one year because they only had painting one and two. And so I went, oh, I was so disappointed, but my painting teacher really liked me. And he says, I'm going to create painting three and four if you want to do it another year. So <laughs> I actually took painting one, two, three, four, five, and six. And, you know, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And I, I, because I went to this parochial school, I, everything came pretty easy to me. So I didn't need a lot of time for, you know, they were pretty, they were pretty tough on us at, at parochial school. So um, I didn't need as much time for homework and everything. So I did art. And so I did painting, I did sculpture, I did everything that I could possibly do. And, and I loved every minute of it. And um Oh, go ahead, go ahead. So sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, no, I, it it just it was it it just it made it feel like I wasn't even really doing. I wasn't going to school by any means. I was having fun. Was there a type of painting that was your favorite? Was there a medium that that you particularly um, liked? It wasn't necessarily a type at the time. I, I I certainly understand now what some of the darker images are all about because I went through some dark emotional times for no good reason it just happens as to teenagers a lot so some of my paintings were kind of dark but not most of them most of them were were, were fine but my parents worried a little bit when they saw some of them um, but I, I loved oil painting because I could make it do exactly what I wanted to Acrylic was a little more difficult, but I liked it as well. Watercolor, I really, really struggled with. Um, but then um, about, let's see, oh, five years ago, four or five years ago, maybe, 
I had a little bit more time um, from work. And so I decided to pick up painting again. And I thought, if I'm going to paint, I might as well learn something that I haven't done. And so I picked up watercolors. And so now that's mostly what I do when I pick up my paints. Okay. I think what's fascinating to me is that when I, you know, again, through these conversations and through the creative people in my life, what I keep hearing over and over again is I tried everything. And I loved a lot of it. Um, we had a, I interviewed a w- woman named Nisha Worley, who is a 90 year old um, artist. And she said, you know, what I want artists to do, anyone who's creative is try everything because you will be surprised at the things that you actually end up loving that you had no idea you would. And I'm guessing lighting is a bit that way for you. It is. You weren't, it is. You weren't thinking that was where you were going. Not at all. Not at all. It was a complete and total surprise. But once I got involved, it was like I had it in my brain that I was going to learn everything there was to learn about lighting. And I would, I would, at the time, it wasn't all about like custom design or anything. And, and there weren't a lot of classes available, but I took them. And so then I decided I would take catalogs of lighting products home in the evenings and I would just read them and learn to read the photometric charts and everything. So I, I just, there wasn't a lot, you know, formal education out there at the time, but I just, it, it was one of those passions. And the other thing is I just like to learn. I, I've taught myself things all my life. And when I got to high school, um, I, I was, back then we didn't, we weren't on computers and I was typing like crazy. I taught myself shorthand from a book that was my older sister's. I mean, I'm always teaching myself something. Yeah. In in art, I just, um, a couple of years ago, I, somebody told me something about alcohol inks. So now I, I love to paint with alcohol inks and they're, they're really fun and and (laughs) they have a mind of their own. I was just going to ask because I've heard of them, but I don't really know what the properties are. So just briefly tell us what alcohol inks are and what's different about them. Well, basically it's, it's, um, it's an alcohol product, but it's got color in it and you have to put it on a a non-porous surface. Like, you know, they've got a paper called UFO. And so that's mostly what I paint on is, is the paper you can also paint like on glass or ceramics, which is fun. I've done like ceramic tiles and so forth. But what's really fun about it is you you don't actually paint as much like a picture. That's not that it runs and it bleeds and it does its own thing and and it's it's so much fun because you you start to learn what you can do to get different effects by you know putting like a drop of clear alcohol on a on a place that's got you know your color on it it'll it'll put a lighter color and it'll just grow as big as the drop does you can lead it places it's it's fun it's not the same kind of painting that you mm-hmm. would do with with a typical paint but so sounds i don't very know fun. i can learn new things yeah that sounds really fun so you have this whole creative um history your whole life it sounds like how young how young were you when you first thought boy I love to paint or draw or whatever was your first sort of creative love do you know I can't even remember because I was doing it from the time I could hold a pencil my dad 
Um, my dad was 48 when I was born, so he was already kind of tired of working, and he'd gone through things in his life that were difficult. He was an alcoholic, but when, when my mom was pregnant with me at 40 years old, she said, no more, so he quit drinking. And um, so when I was really young, I don't even remember when, that's what he would do with me, and we would just draw, and he was he was pretty darn talented, too. Um, and so part of my wanting to be in the construction industry really came through him. I haven't thought about that for a long time till right now, but he was a pipe fitter. And so he would bring drawings home of some of the projects that he's working on. And he would, I would look at them and they were, they were the real honest to God blueprints where they're dark blue with the whiter lines. And so he, I would, he would explain them to me and, and he pretty much taught me how to read blueprints when I was really, really young. So that's kind of how it developed, but I don't remember the very first, you know, I don't remember. It's been as long as I have a memory. That's, that's wonderful. And um, so now we've gotten to this, you know, you've had this path of life, which has been about creation and, and art. And it sounds like you're ready to kind of step away from the lighting, even though you love it, but you know that yep. it's the right time. Right. And what's next? Because I know that you're stepping more into a role with um, Young Living. And I'd like to hear a little bit about how that and how that fits for you with your sure. life ambitions. Sure. Sure. Well. Um, you know, I, I, my passions basically are, are like people. I, I love, I love people. I love meeting people. You can tell that the first time we talk. I mean, I just, I want to know more. Um, and my family, I, I just love being around my family. I, I, I've always talked to people. It's kind of crazy, but like when I, when I was really little, I, my folks would send me to the store. Yeah. They both smoked heavily. And so every day after school, I'd get home from school. They'd send me down to the little store. It was just called the little store down at the end of our block. We were in the middle of the block with uh, some cash and a note saying, please, please sell Debbie this many cigarettes. And it was always like a carton or two of something. And yeah, you can't do that nowadays. But um, so what should have been a five minute walk <laughs> Sometimes mom would have to be calling neighbors going, has Debbie walked by there yet? And um, um, I would be talking to neighbor after neighbor after neighbor. And, and it would take sometimes an hour or two to get home. Um, so I do, I've always loved to talk to people. It, it, and so what, what happened now is I, I kind of got into Young Living. And the um, the way I got into it is is kind of a a sad story. Um, it was about like oh, six and a half years or so ago, and my husband had passed away. And then my business partner of um, at the time um, ten years told me she had um, pancreatic cancer stage four, and but she was going to fight it. And, you know, she was going to do everything possible, so don't worry about it. And she worked mostly from home at that point, and she did all the books and everything. And um, but after less than two months after that, she passed away. And 
right after her funeral, I got an eviction notice at work. And um, I found that she hadn't been paying the bills. Oh, no. And so she drove us in debt. And I found out also that she had been embezzling. And I was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And um, I'm so sorry. To say, it, was, it was hard to get out of bed, much less function. But yeah. So um, the way I got started in Young Living, my daughter, who lives in, in, lived at the time in Colorado, sent me this tiny little bottle of joy oil. I don't know okay. if you can see that. Yeah. And I, and I thought, oh, gee, thanks, honey. <laughs> um, but I, I used it. We, at home, we diffused it. And um, I put it on my heart and on my wrists and, and kept it with me. And, and with that and the encouragement of my family, my daughter-in-law, who's sitting right behind me, who lives with me, um, she and her family moved in with me. Um, so with all of that, I was able to get up and get back to work and and get back to my life. And it, it just made all the difference in the world. And so what that inspired me to do, even at the time, I, you know, I'm still working full time at that point. Um, I, I wanted to share it with people because these products are life-changing and they're not just about your emotional health, they're about your physical health, health and your psychological health. It, it's about everything. And it's not just oils, it's all lifestyle products. I mean, it's, it's everything that you need. So I wanted to go non-toxic. My daughter has been that way and she, she started with Young Living, you know, not too long before I did. And um, it's made such a difference in her life. It had up at that point already. And so, you know, she just, she encouraged me and that's, that's where I am. And I get to work with her and it's, it's just exciting. So it sounds like the products are sustainable. So they fit a sustainable model of living, which Very is, you know, don't, put toxins into your life or into the environment right 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 they um everything they do is sustainable they they, the way they farm is sustainable um first of all they own their own farms or they have partner farms and if they have partner farms what they do is they they have their rules and regulations and their guidelines and then they have people on the site that make sure everything is being done according to their their standards, which are incredibly high. Um, D. Gary Young is was the founder. He's passed away, but he um, he was the pioneer in in essential oils, getting quality these high, super high quality essential oils. And his goal was to get them into every home in the world. And I understand that. It, it they help everybody, and so why not? Um, but so the way they farm, what they do is is they don't use pesticides at all. They only they only farm on land that is completely clean. They're and and it's not clean for five years like the the federal regulations say. They're, it's it's clean for 50 years. They they are so particular. It's insane. Wow. And then the way they distill, they don't distill with chemicals. 
they're all steam distilled and all of their processes, even the others, the, other than the, the steam distilling, everything is natural. It's, it's so great. Even their seeds, the seeds that they use to, um, for, for their planting are, are um, they, they find seeds that are, you know, from years and years and years ago, they're not hybrids by any means. Yeah. It, it's, they're such a great company. So what about sustainability? What, what does that mean to you? Um, personally, sustainability is, is all about living clean and doing things that are not going to affect anybody downline from me. So I want to, I want to reuse things. I don't want, I want to have as little trash as, as possible. I want to compost. I want to, you know, everything possible. I don't want toxic chemicals anywhere in my life. Um, I, you know, everything I can do to not have a negative impact physically, especially, but, or emotionally or mentally, anything on, on other people, that's sustainable. That is sustainable. I want people to live a healthy, happy life as long as possible. Yeah. What I like about what you said is that for us, um, sustainability really is about taking care of ourselves first, because I think we have to do that in order to actually take care of other people. But then it's about, it's about thinking about our decisions through that lens of how is this going to impact the future? How is it going to impact other people? How's it going to impact me? And I love that you said it's everything because for me, this for a long time now, my feeling has been, we cannot just address one problem. We can't just address social inequity. We can't just address economic inequity. We can't just address the, the environment. We really have to jump in and say, all of this leads to a future that where everyone can thrive. Right. And it right. sounds like what you're feeling so is that Young Living fits that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and one of the ways I know that, mm -hmm. I absolutely know that is because of their, they have a foundation that's called the D. Gary Young Young Living Foundation, and um, the things they do are incredible. They they they're working for uh, for quality and education for everybody. Um, one of the things that that Gary Young did, he was he was looking at land. Um, for a farm in Ecuador. And he saw this old abandoned building and it had um, um, no windows, just openings. And he discovered that that was their school. And there were just, you know, kids running around. And there were, he thought, I think maybe he said a dozen. I, sh I should have read that story again, but I didn't. Um, but he found out that the teachers were just volunteer parents, you know, and, and these kids are running around with no shoes and, you know, ratty clothes and not really learning anything. They're, they're kind of like a daycare, you know? And so he said he, that's when he started the Young Living Foundation. And now that, now there are schools all the way from, you know, elementary, and there's even a preschool now through through college and 
a few years ago, I think it was in 2016, they had their first graduating class. And it, it, you know, I just watched a little video on that and it was, it just warms your heart to that see that, that he does that. And, and so the money basically comes from young living members. You know, we all, we all contribute whenever we feel like doing that. It's not mandatory by any means. Sure. But, but one of the simple things that we all do is we can we can opt to round up on our orders. So we order a product, say it's you know fifty two dollars and seventy cents. We round it up, yeah. Our order to fifty three dollars. So all of that money adds up. I, there are like I don't know four billion customers now, and over the country it's insane. It's just insane. insane, and. And so when you start looking at those numbers, the things that they've done, they've built schools, they've, so they're, they're, they've got three basic um, um, areas that they're trying to help. One is, one is um, that they champion education. Mm-hmm. They also are developing enterprise, especially for, for women like in third world countries that, that want to do something to help their families. Um, and then they, they're ending exploitation and you know human trafficking, that sort of thing. So um, it, it's just incredible what they're doing. And Young Living had, keeps zero money of what's donated to the Young Living Foundation for um, administrative costs. Young Living's company's profits cover all of that. So the foundation gets every penny that anybody donates in any way. And and I just think that's so cool. That's so cool. So I just want to bring this back to the creative side of you, because I'd like to hear how that feeds into this, because that's such an integral part of you that I'm confident there is a tie-in. So I'd like you to explain that to us. Um, I'm, I'm really still working on that because I'm not as technically competent as a lot of the younger people are, Mm -hmm. but, but first of all, it's kind of creative to figure out all the really wonderful ways we, I can use their products, which is really fun. I, I love, see it, creative can be anything to me. One of the first, (laughs) one of the first things I did, um, when I started getting some oils I I studied what they did mm-hmm. and one of the things that that Young Living recommends is for immunity to boost your immunity rub thieves their thieves blend on the bottom of your feet every night mm-hmm. or every day at some point and so I was doing that and then I thought I don't like rubbing oil on the bottom of my feet I'd like it to be in a salve so I made a foot rub and and that was years ago, and I still use it, and I give it to my friends, and I have <laughs> friends that always let me know when it's gone, because I, I put thieves and then quite a few other oils, and I, what I learned is that through the bottom of your feet, so here's the, there's the, the technical part, mm-hmm. the bottom of your feet, the pores are the biggest, so the oils get into your bloodstream and get to the organs and the, your bodily functions that they are going to help fastest, and the bottom of your feet are also the least sensitive. So if there's an oil that that would bother your a sensitive part of your skin, it's not going to bother your feet. So 
And and then not only that, there's this really cool Vitaflex quick chart so you can I can target like my liver or <laughs> I, I don't I no longer have a gallbladder, so I'm trying to take really good care <clears throat> of my liver and then I can sure. target you know, my eyes and my brain. <laughs> so respiratory cool. system, which is big right now. So I mean yeah, there's creativity comes everywhere in it from figuring out what oils to use for what purpose. And one of the really fun things is to have this big arsenal of oils and then go, what do I feel like today in my user? <laughs> and coming up with, oh, I think today I want to use um, stress away and maybe I'll put a little bit of tangerine in it because it just smells so good. And so, you know, that's really a fun thing to do too. So there's just creativity everywhere you look. You don't have to live with everything that it's just in the catalog or in the book. Right. Well, and I would guess as you're selling this product to other people that that the creativity spreads even more because you're able to, you know, if I say that I need something in particular, you're able to brainstorm with me what you might try to help with that. So I think it's, I think it's incredibly creative. And I would say technical too, figuring out, as you said, you made a football. You know, you put things together that weren't put together, but that work for you. So I think, um, I think, interestingly enough, I suspect that whatever you were doing, you would find a way to make it both technical and creative, because that's the soul of you. That's that's who you are. So I would like to know if you were talking to someone because you've had such a varied career, which again, before today, I didn't know. So that's really cool. Um, if you were talking to someone much younger who was sort of creative but also had that technical side what would you like what piece of advice would you give them as they're sort of plotting out their life sure um i think the first and foremost do whatever it is that you're passionate about because when you're passionate it's going to work for you you're going to find something that works for you if you if you have a passion about it so whatever your unique talents are whatever whatever you know you've been blessed with and whatever you know skills or talents whatever that is find something that just really feeds your soul because you know life is too short to do something you don't love it you know you should you should love every day and so if you find that and and are able to make a living doing that I don't know what could be better I like that what would you say is the thing that drives you like your your touchstone or the thing that really that pushes you on at the heart of you what would you say it is i i just think it's probably from the way i grew up just having having this there's no such thing as failure you can have a you can fall but there is no such thing as failure. And, and believe me, seven plus years ago when my husband died and Terry died and everything was going wrong, I was close to just going no more. But, you know, I was, I, I was blessed by having family right there with me and blessed by all of the friends that I've made over the years because I love people so much. So, um, yeah, I I just think um, you have to look ahead. You have to always 
always look to what it is you want and go, I can get there. You know you can get there. Get you might it. need help. If you need help, ask for it. There's mm-hmm. no problem with asking for it. If somebody comes to me, like I have a team now of people working with me with Young Living, and I don't think there's anything I like more than for one of them to come and say, I don't know how to do this or, or something. And I, then brainstorm because I don't have the answers, but I love to talk it through to, so we can communicate, communally find an answer for whatever it is you need. There's, there's always an answer. Sometimes there's five answers. You just said you love people, and I just wanted to to throw back to you. I think people probably love you too. You're oh, delightful, so and such a we're just it's we're so fortunate that you're here because you're such a delight. So thank I want to thank you for that. But, was there anything I didn't ask you about that? You, I'm going to ask you to tell me a story, but first I just want to ask: Was there anything that I didn't cover that you'd like us to cover? And it's okay really, if there's not, but I don't really think so. Okay. One of the things that that I that came up when I was thinking about this was mm-hmm. with sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the funnier things in that in in my brain with high school, I remember going to school on the very first Earth Day. <laughs> you know, on April twenty second, it was what nineteen seventy. I was sixteen years old, and mm-hmm. and it was my first kind of glimpse into sustainability, if you will. And, and um, although we didn't call it that by any means, um, but I remember riding my bike and it was a cold kind of a nasty day, but I went, I'm not going to get in a bus or a car or anything. I'm riding my bike and I get to school and there were like six of us. who did that. <laughs> I thought this was, I thought it was going to be everybody, but right. But, you know, it grew, and I, it's kind of fun to see that. That um, now, so many people care, and so many people are invested in it. And how great is that? Yeah, yeah. It's and and there's so much we can do. And I think um, you know you're going to be involved in our sustainability study or our sustainability challenge. Um, and then, you know, I wrote the book on, I literally wrote a book on tips for being more sustainable because I feel like all of us need to take some responsibility. And I love that we're at that point where people are and are looking for tips and looking for things that they can do. And I think for most people, if they can just see the tiny little things they can do that actually will start creating a movement where we are doing all that we can, I think that's amazing. I do too. I think think it's incredible. So do you have a story from your life that you would like to tell us? And I always tell people that this can be, you know, a big story. It can be the, you know, the moment of truth for you or something huge that happened, or it can be something really small. So we've had people tell stories about a, a literal spiritual awakening um, if you remember from listening to the interview with Graham Russell from Air Supply, um, that that was what he told is this earth shattering story that that he had never told anyone. Um, but I've also had people tell stories about frying an egg on the sidewalk as a child. And my only request is that it be a story that feels like yours and that comes to mind when you're asked that. 
sure. Yeah, and, and I I don't have an earth shattering story, um, but I do. It it was life changing for me, mm-hmm. sort of. I I was five years old, um, and we we had no money. We were pretty poor. I I did get to go to a parochial school, like I told you, but the only reason is because we were one of the first families in the church and so I was granted that um but I was five and you know birthdays were birthdays it wasn't a big deal but it was my birthday in April and um, I looked outside and there in front of my house was this red carriage with two horses attached to it and it was just so exciting that my my uncle worked at Ewald Dairy at the time and um and managed to get their horse and carriage horses and carriage and he he came in and told me to get dressed I was still in my pajamas get dressed and we'll we'll go for this ride around the neighborhood we'll get a couple of your friends and we'll take I'll take you for this ride in the horse and carriage well I I wanted to feel like Cinderella but I didn't I didn't have anything decent to wear and so I was I went I was looking through clothes and my mom was looking through clothes and my brother who was almost 18 at the time comes downstairs that's where his room was with it wasn't wrapped it was my birthday present but he didn't know that that was going to happen and so he he bought me and it was the only time he ever gave me anything spectacular and that was to me at the time um the prettiest purple dress lavender dress and I felt I put it on and it, I felt like a princess in it. So I'll never forget that day riding around the neighborhood, feeling like I was Cinderella in this princess dress with this horse and carriage, horses and carriage, and with my friends in there. And it was like, darn, this feels good. So I, that was that's one of those memories that I, I don't know that I'll ever forget. Well, I hope thank not. you. Thank you for sharing that because that is a beautiful and inspiring memory. And just a reminder, I think for us, I, I think it's incredibly important that we keep those memories that are positive and bring them out and think about them because sometimes we even know by research that focusing on negatives is so much easier and those yeah. stories tend to stick with us so much better. And so I think restating these stories of, of joy are so important in reminding us that there's so much good. And so thank you. Oh, thank you. I can picture you. I'm, I'm <laughs> sitting here just picturing this. Like I have a very visual image of you as a little girl in a purple dress sitting in this. Of course, in my mind, it's this, it is a Cinderella carriage made out of a pumpkin. So, I mean, there is that little bit of... <laughs> mistaken I'm pretty sure it didn't look like that in real life but what a pleasure to get that as a memory so thank you it was fun to remember that and I hadn't thought about that for a long time very cool so this was a pleasure I want to thank you for being here Um, for everybody who's listening this is um, Deb Edwards who is a representative for Young Living and also a lighting designer, and also just so much more than that. So this incredibly creative, interesting, um, technical person that I'm just, what a pleasure to have met you and, and to be able to um, call, con- consider you in my circle now. So I appreciate that so much. 
And if you have not listened to our past podcasts, please do a tremendous amount of talent and energy and creativity and sustainable knowledge go into those podcasts. So I don't think you'll be disappointed. Next week, we're actually, I'm actually interviewing my mother, who is a needleworker and also a pastor and lived on a Native American reservation for a while and just um, another kind of creative spirit and, and her friend Darlene, who is a creative quilter. And so they are both in their upper 70s around there. And so they'll be coming on next week just to talk about being creative and what their lives have been like. So thank you so much, Deb. And for thank anybody you, who's listening, thank you. It was, I had a great time. I love this. You did, you do such a good job. I've, I've loved watching all of the podcasts. They're great. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, it was my pleasure. Thank you. She's a mountain